Hey there, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's Physics Buzz podcast. I'm Mike Lucibella. A couple of weeks ago, during Cal's interview with historian David Kaiser, she said something that really piqued my interest. She said that during the 1940s and 1950s, physicists were working on projects with very tangible applications, especially ones related to national defense. During World War II, physicists at the Manhattan Project built the atomic bomb, but what happened after the war? In July of 1946, there were a series of pivotal atomic bomb detonations, collectively called Operation Crossroads. Conducted at the Bikini Atoll in the Pacific, the tests were instrumental in defining how scientists and the government would be working together for the next 25 years. Operation Crossroads was the first tests, scientific tests, of the newly developed atomic bomb. This is James Delgado, a maritime archaeologist at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. He's written several books on the tests. The Crossroads, of course, was not the first atomic bomb explosion. The very first was the Manhattan Project's Trinity test in the New Mexico desert during World War II. The Trinity shot of July 1945 had really been a weapons proofing, uh, not a scientific test. Uh, combat deployment of the bomb at Hiroshima and Nagasaki had certainly provided answers to a few key questions about what the bomb would do, but I say that in terms of it being a big effect. In terms of the smaller, more nuanced effects, in terms of actually being able to try to duplicate that in laboratory-type conditions, Operation Crossroads was designed to do that. Though quickly, the scientists found the military and political leaders had their own agendas. In part, the armed forces wanted to see how they could integrate this new kind of bomb into their arsenal and how useful these new weapons could be. There were still so many unknowns about atomic weapons at the time. After the um, use of the bombs against Japan and uh, the conclusion of the war, it was a little uncertain as to uh, what was going to happen with this new weapon. This is Robert Norris, a senior fellow at the Federation of American Scientists and an expert on the history of nuclear weapons. There wasn't initial enthusiasm about them. Uh, Maybe it was just a bigger weapon. Uh, Instead of using hundreds of bombers, maybe one bomber could do the job. So there was still uncertainty about uh, uh, what direction the United States was going to go in. At the same time, relations between the United States and the Soviet Union were falling apart. There was a very real possibility of war between the two former allies. Political leaders wanted to send a message to the Russians, one that said the U.S. was the most powerful country in the world because only we had the bomb. The Manhattan Project, which was still in operation, um, along with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, decided to uh, test these bombs against what turned out to be a a large flotilla of Navy ships. Uh, But Crossroads was really the largest peacetime military operation ever conducted uh, up until that time. Uh, There were 240 ships. Uh, 156 aircraft and 42,000 personnel. The joint task force in charge of the operation planned to detonate three bombs over about 70 abandoned and obsolete Navy ships. The scientists were there to gather information about the explosions for the military. The scientists wanted to have a, a key role. They really wanted these tests to be under scientific control, but they were under military control. And a number of the scientists, particularly at Los Alamos, would later complain that the tests had really been hijacked and it become nothing more than spectacle. Operation Crossroads is the motion picture spectacle of all time. More cameras were trained on the bikini blast than at any other single event in world history. The film record of Operation Crossroads required the services of hundreds of men and tons of film. 
What they record provides science and the military with clues to the future of atomic power. More film was shot of Operation Crossroads than all of Hollywood productions for the year. First and foremost, scientists wanted to see how big of an explosion the bomb would make, what its weapon yield was. So weapons yield was something they knew about. They knew it was going to be variable because no two bombs were alike. But there were other things they wanted to test. They wanted to see what the effects were on different types of materials. Hundreds of samples of pigments, metals, and fabrics are placed aboard the test ships to reveal to the evaluation board and Manhattan district engineers the extent of atomic destruction. All types of materials undergo the smashing blow of the deadly plutonium weapon. Uh, they wanted to see what the effects of heat and pressure and radiation would be on living tissue. So 5,000 test animals were put on board the ships. Animals of many kinds are shipped aboard the target vessels to serve as proxies for human crews in man's endeavor to discover measures to counteract the deadly results of nuclear fission. A sheep loses his fleecy coat in the interests of science. Special ointments are applied to determine their protective qualities. Other parts of the exposed areas being left bare to the atom blast. And you also had things that were out there merely to see what the bomb would do to them. So practically everything in the military arsenal from different types of aircraft, armored cars, to tanks, to weapons, to uniform items, all of these were placed on the ships in different positions so that you could determine what would happen to them in a nuclear burst. Hundreds of pieces of equipment and armor lashed to the decks will provide data for the scientists. Thousands of specially constructed instruments will furnish their records of radioactive rays and what happens at the awful core of an atom blast. The Joint Task Force named each of the three tests. First up was ABLE. Well, the ABLE test was designed to be a combat situation not unlike the Hiroshima attack, however, in this case, over a fleet in the water. Never before had such a mighty target been assembled beneath a bomb site. 73 ships in a five-mile area. It was a bombardier's dream target. The plan was to drop a Mark III plutonium core weapon, the same type dropped at Nagasaki, onto the target fleet from an altitude of about 30,000 feet from the B-29 Dave's dream. Early morning, July 1st, 1946. Able day in the Pacific. D-Day of Operation Crossroads. One of the world's largest aircraft carrying a tiny particle of atomic energy speeded down the runway for science. Up, up, seven miles into the sky, the awe-inspiring cloud billows and surges, blotting out the destruction below. For whatever reason, the bomb did not drop where it was supposed to. It veered off and went off by over a mile's distance from its intended um, aiming point, but uh, it threw the experiments off because all of a sudden now you don't have the bomb going off where it was intended to. Certain instruments are just wiped out because they're calibrated to be reading at a distance. Others are completely lost and vaporized. The bomb sank a number of ships. It left others burning. Uh, but for everybody out there in the world that expected Bikini and Operation Crossroads to be not just a harbinger of the future, but perhaps a dangerous test that might crack the world or set the oceans on fire, it was anticlimactic. And while some observers felt that the Bikini bomb was less powerful than its predecessors, 
Many feel that the lessons learned here today will mean a reshuffling of man's strategy of national defense. The final verdict remains shrouded in military secrecy. What people saw was a very big explosion, but there was no living witness to it. There was nobody to speak to what had happened on the decks of those ships. Uh, what you had instead were people steaming in and saying, well, we can deal with this. Not everything was sunk. And yes, there are ships that are impressively damaged, but we've just come out of a war. We've seen cities destroyed. We have seen firebombing. We've seen ships mauled in battles. So yes, this is one bomb, but we can survive this. Nobody was prepared for, nobody understood, except for a handful of scientists, the underlying message, the hidden message, if you will, that would only come to full uh, understanding in the aftermath of the Baker test, and that was residual radiation. The scientists had a tragically intimate understanding of the dangers of radiation. Though the military had named the first test Abel, physicists at Los Alamos had a different name for the bomb's plutonium heart. They called it the Demon Core, after it had killed two scientists at the lab. While physicist Harry Dogelin was experimenting with it on August 21, 1945, the core accidentally went critical for a brief moment, releasing a blue flash and a burst of intense radiation. He died 25 days later. Nine months after that, another physicist, Louis Slotin, accidentally let the core go critical again and died in nine days, just one month before the ABLE test. Uh, the second bomb, uh, codenamed Baker, uh, was dropped a few weeks later on July 24th. Uh, it was located underwater in a, uh, in a uh, caisson. This one was um, a little more successful and did sink a lot of ships and produced a lot of radiation. Now, Abel had been somewhat impressive as a flash and a plume going into the sky, but it was completely overshadowed by Baker. Nobody expected what they saw with Baker. You had an instantaneous eruption of sea and coral which climbed up out of the ocean in a surging mass of this, this massive plume which shot up some 6,000 feet that then culminated in this huge mushroom cloud cap of steam and water and ejected sea bottom which then rained back as a radioactive mud and steam and rain over the entire fleet that it had not immediately sunk. The inspection and salvage fleet moved cautiously toward the target area, testing for radioactivity with Geiger counters. They tried to get men on these ships to save some of them, and they couldn't. They were as hot as stoves, said one account. There are evocative, poignant, horrid pictures of men stripped down to the waist and with their boots off and their dungarees rolled up, trying to scrub the fallout off of the decks. As much as they tried to get rid of radiation, they couldn't. Men exceeded their radiation limits within a matter of minutes, in some cases when stepping aboard the ships. The test animals began to sicken and die in terrible ways, and it was clear that the radiation would be, even if a ship seemingly was intact, it, uh, it could not be remanned. It was a dead ship. Ultimately, out of the target ships that survived the uh, the tests, almost all, save a handful, had to be taken out and sunk because they still couldn't be decontaminated years after the tests. Because of all this radiation, the third test, Charlie, was canceled. This fleet of abandoned, irradiated ships became one of the public's first glimpses at the real lingering dangers of radiation. A year later, the Joint Chiefs of Staff submitted their final report on the tests and the future of atomic weapons to President Truman. Parts of it are downright chilling. Its number one conclusion reads, 
If used in numbers, atomic bombs can not only nullify any nation's military effort, but can demolish its social and economic structures and prevent their reestablishment for long periods of time. It is quite possible to depopulate vast areas of the Earth's surface, leaving only vestigial remnants of man's material works. It goes on to say that, The United States cannot retain dominance in atomic warfare, unless by unflagging effort it retains the leadership in nuclear physics, chemistry, and engineering which made the bomb possible. Hence, a vital part of our national defense must be a program of research and development in every field involved in bomb production. After Crossroads, it became better focused that the United States was going to pursue uh, an arsenal of some point, um, and that more tests had to be done to, um, to figure out which, which direction to go in. So the laboratory, at first Los Alamos, and then later uh, at Livermore, which became a competing laboratory, um, began to design uh, new and better nuclear weapons for the military services. And thus we have uh, a ex great expansion of the uh, uh, nuclear weapon complex beyond uh, the Oak Ridge plant at um, Tennessee, the Hanford plant in the state of Washington, and uh, duplicate uh, plants uh, get built elsewhere. In uh, South Carolina at the Savannah River, a nuclear weapon uh, assembly plant in uh, Texas, and a second one in Iowa. Uh, no longer is it just sort of a, a workshop, one-by-one one, uh, thing at Los Alamos. Now we're into uh, assembly line mass production, but uh, the, the laboratories were, were very, very, very busy uh, places. The government needed physicists, and lots of them, to run the laboratories and develop new weapons and technology, setting the tone for much of the field until the 1970s. That's all for this week's Physics Buzz podcast. You can hear more of our podcasts, find our Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at www.physicscentral.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>